0: Let's go to the Lord. Father, we do lift up that team down in Keno Bay, and and again, Lord, we just pray that you do some great things uh, through them. Thank you for the faithfulness. Thank you for getting them there. And now, Lord, we just uh, look forward to what you're gonna do. I know things have already started today, and and Lord, just continue on and and, uh, use our ministry to bless that ministry and to bless the people in Keno. And to, Lord, we just pray for a harvest of souls. And God, here tonight as we as we continue studying and looking at Malachi and him dealing with his generation and, and what's going on there, it always amazes me whether we're talking uh, decades or centuries or even millenniums, how we're always still the same. God, we're just people who are in desperate need of God. And so I pray that as... Malachi reinforces in the hearts of of that generation their need for you and their need to uh, follow you. Lord, I pray that it would impact us in that same way. And so bless this time, Lord, and I just ask that all of us could leave here tonight strengthened in our faith, Built up, no matter how we came in here, if we came in bummed and dejected and feeling bad about uh, life, I pray that we can leave here knowing more about you and convinced in our heart, God, that you love us and that you care for us. So bless this time, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. You know, it is interesting when you think about, here's, you know, millenniums ago, and that group of people that, that Malachi's talking to is not a lot different than us. They're, I like to say it, they're just people doing life. They're trying to get through life and they're having a tough, tough time. They've been back in the land probably 100 years, maybe 150 years. So, you know, that's in, in, in our minds, that's a long time. And, you know, light of, of even you know, the existence of the world, it's not that long. But they've been back, this is probably, we're looking at now the second generation and, and they're just blowing it and they're discouraged and they're mad at God partially, they're mad at their circumstance. You know, they finally got the temple built and, and they're feeling okay about that. They kind of got back into doing some worship, although it wasn't coming from the heart, as Malachi is gonna let us know, And they're, and they're doing that. But the problem is they're seeing things around them And they just don't like the world around them. They don't like the way things are going. Sound familiar? But they're allowing the world to influence their view of God rather than allowing God to influence their view of the world. And we tend to do that, don't we? We tend to look at the physical, because walking by faith, we're looking at it in James and Galatians, walking by faith is hard. So we allow the world to kind of impact us, and then we view God through that lens, and he's saying, Stop and allow me to impact you and you look at the world through that lens. So that's what Malachi is sharing with these people. Hey, get it together. Quit, quit all of this, this bitterness and this hardness and trust me. So back to verse 17. I want, I want to go back into chapter 2 before we got into chapter 3, because chapter 3 kind of answers part of, of of verse 17. And once again, the Lord says, you have wearied the Lord with your words, yet you say, in what way have we wear, worried, wearied him? Now, here's an interesting thing. I love J. Vernon McGee. I, I like to read J. Vernon McGee and and uh, just, you know, his insight into things. And, you know, and whenever I, whenever I read him, I hear that, that accent, you know, is how he does, my friends, let me tell you. You know, and, and you, that's what I hear when I'm reading it. And, and uh, you know, he's kind of funny. He says, these people whined eight different times. And I'm thinking, okay, whatever. But here's the thing. God would interact them and God would ask them a question and there would be something coming up. And they always came back with, What are you talking about, God? He kind of picked that up. Listen, the Lord says, you've wearied me with your words. What do you mean? We haven't done anything. And isn't that usually what our kids do? We bust them doing something wrong, and what do they generally do? What are you talking about? I didn't break that. Well, there's three of us here. Our daughter was an only child, so it was tough on her, you know? She says, I didn't do it, and I go, well, I know I didn't do it, and I know your mom didn't do it, so that leaves one. But even as adults don't we tend to do it? It's not my fault. What are you talking about? What do you mean? So these guys do this over and over. We're gonna see it a couple times tonight. So here's, here's their thing. What do you mean? Yeah. What do you mean in what way have we wearied you? And that you say, the middle of verse 17, that you say, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord and he delights in them. Or where is the God of justice? So listen, here's what they're saying in their hearts. They're saying, we look around and other people are doing just fine. Even evil people, even people who hate you. Kind of sound familiar? Do you look around our world and wonder why those who hate God are doing so well and why he doesn't just toast them and do certain things? Hey, Jesus in Matthew chapter five let us know, hey, God, the rain falls on the just and the unjust just alike. And we need to like chill out a little bit and not get so uptight about that. And here's the way I like to think about it when I'm being spiritual. I don't wanna pretend that I've like always got it together. When I'm being spiritual, here's what I like to think about. Well, they should enjoy that because this is the only enjoyment they're gonna get for all of eternity. So God bless them. Have fun with that because I get to be with God for all of eternity. So I'm not gonna get so uptight about if they're enjoying the moment, enjoying it. But these guys are, they're uptight. Hey, how come the good or or how come those people who do evil, God is blessing them? we just read Job. Well, some of us just read Job. Some of us don't. And isn't that what they were saying in Job? I mean, how many times in the Old Testament do you read over and over, how come, the, how come the evil people do okay, and you know, I'm not having fun? And I was thinking about that when we were singing that last song tonight. And sometimes we sing that song and we're gathered together here, and you know, in fellowship, man, we're like, yes. And then we go out there, and all of a sudden, he's not the king of our heart anymore, and we're all mad and whiny. So these guys are doing that, and then here's the question, God, where is the God of justice? Now, that's something, I don't know about you guys, but that's not something I pray for all the time. I want the God of mercy. I want the God of grace, and that's because I have a hard time doing life, and it gets in the way of my relationship with the Lord. And I blow it. And so I don't always cry out, where's the God of justice? Because I know if I do that, I'm sunk. But that's what these guys, where's the God of justice? And so the Lord answers them, and that's the beginning of chapter three. Where's the God of justice? Behold, verse one of chapter three, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. Even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. So imagine Malachi just speaking this to these people And here's a crazy thing, he mixes the first coming and the second coming of Jesus, of the Messiah, all in one verse. And he kind of puts it together and he says, hey, when he talks about here at the beginning of the verse, behold, I send my messenger, obviously he's talking about John the Baptist. Jesus quoted this in Matthew chapter 11. He quoted this verse, and in Luke, and in Mark also, he quotes it, but listen, in Matthew chapter 11, he says this, and so God sent John the Baptist to, quote, lay the groundwork, clear the ground, and he came, but then it's interesting the terms he uses for himself. He says, he will prepare the way for me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple Now, listen, that's got to be his second coming. Now, all of a sudden, he goes from John the Baptist, the first coming, to Jesus coming the second time in justice, because isn't that who they asked for? Where's the God of justice? And he says he will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant. Again, I think that's just different terminology, talking about Jesus in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Here's what I know. Jesus' first coming wasn't suddenly. Right, we know, we read the story. His second coming is gonna be sudden. And how many times do you, I think if you're like me, do we pray for the coming of the Lord? Like I want the Lord to come. But here's what I know. I'm really glad he didn't come before 1983 because that's when I got saved. I am so glad, I am so glad he waited till after then. And when we, listen, when we're asking for Jesus to come back, most of us, I think, have this whole idea of kind of, almost, almost like a Hollywood scene, and it's gonna be so good for us, and we're gonna be so delighted and so happy, which we will be, but what about those who don't know him? That's justice coming. And we need to understand that. And we need to have hearts for that, and we need to have hearts for the loss. So he says, man, and when I come, it's going to be sudden. Now, who's asking him to come? The children of Israel here they're going where 's this God of justice he says i 'll show you, listen, and now he says, "Hey, when he comes, verse two, but who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears for he 's like a refiner 's fire and a launderer's soap here 's an interesting thing as you 're reading through the Bible this year and going through the different prof- prophets and and the psalms and, and, and even some of the proverbs, pay attention to how many times God uses this metaphor about fire and so fire purifies the metals and the things that can be burned up and soap purifies clothing and you know quote pots and pans so listen here's what he's saying when he comes he's going to clean things up and that's a scary thought especially if you're part of the dirt he says, here he comes, he's gonna come, he's gonna come like that, and he says, verse three in, he will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver that they may offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness. He's not talking about God is gonna purify them right then during Malachi's time. Malachi saying when he comes back, God is going to purify them just like, hey, I grew up in Bisbee, and I grew up with mining and smelting and all of that. So I understand that refiner's fire with gold and silver. You put fire and you burn out all of the dross. You get rid of the stuff you don't want so that you can have the pure gold, pure silver, or in the case of Bisbee, pure copper. But you did that. You had that fire. And so some of us have a picture of that in our minds. And and if you don't, Google it. But listen, man, he says, hey, he wants the sons of Levi to be pure so they can be pure offerings. Do you understand during the millennium there's going to be offerings? I know some people get uptight. This is going to be really hard on PETA. They're going to like freak out. Because listen carefully during the millennium, they are going to sacrifice animals. And some of us are going, I don't know if I want to be there. Well, Better change your heart. And some people go, why on earth would they, why would they sacrifice if the Messiah's already come? Well, let's put it this way. When they sacrificed, all of the sacrifices for homework go through Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. All of the sacrifices were all about pointing to the Messiah and looking forward and looking at that, that hope that they would have during the millennium, the sacrifices are going to be looking back. We celebrate the Lord's table, and we come and we have communion. Why do we do that? Not because we're ritualistic, but we're looking back at what he has done. It's a memorial in what he's done, and that's what those sacrifices. So, you know, if, you, if you're squeamish about it, you know, I, I don't know what to tell you because you're going to have to get used to it. You're going to be around it for about like a 1,000 years. And then after a 1,000 years, it'll be over with. So you only have a 1,000 years that you have to put up with it in all of eternity. But he says, hey, they're going to do it. The Levites are going to be pure. Once again, they're going to offer it. Look at verse 4. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasant to the Lord as in the days of old, as in former years. So here's what he's saying. That's what's going to happen. What was the question? Where's the God of justice? You want the God of justice? Guess what, man? When he shows up, things are gonna change radically. And there's none of this whining and asking questions anymore, man. The king is gonna be there. And then then he talks about some of the sins he's gonna deal with in verse five. And I will come near you for judgment. That's kind of scary, isn't it? I don't know about you guys, but When I read about the judgment of God, it scares me. And I know, listen, I know I'm under the blood, and I know I'm not gonna face the judgment of God for for my salvation. I know that that's taken care of. But I know I'm gonna face him for what I've done with what he's given me in this life. There's that beam of seed of Christ that all of us are gonna face, every single one of us as believers. We're gonna go and, yeah, I think it's more of a reward than a judgment, I get that but it's still a scary thing because, man, I don't know about you guys, but I don't want to go and my reward like, just all goes up in smoke and it's burned up by the fire. I want to have a reward that lasts. I want to have, have gold and silver that I'm bringing to the Lord. I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. I, wanna, I, I don't want to be afraid of that. I want to come to that, but it's a scary thing. Listen, we're going to come before a holy perfect righteous God but those who don't know him it's even worse and so he says listen man when he comes for Israel he says and I will come near you for judgment here's what he's letting Israel know when he comes and he puts his foot on the Mount of Olives and he splits it in two judgment is going to happen And he is going to judge, listen to what he's going to judge. And I I will be a swift witness against sorcerers, against adulterers, against perjurers, and those those who exploit wage earners, and widows, and orphans, and against those who turn away an alien, because they do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. Now listen, he lists some specific sins there that I think all apply to the fact that they have divorced their wives that we looked at last time and married foreign wives that have influenced them in all of these areas and they've turned away from God and bottom line, here's what he's gonna judge them on, the fact that they do not fear the Lord. Now when he says they do not fear me, it's not like, ah, fear, it's like they don't respect me. They don't have that awe of me. And, you know, I believe we are losing that in this generation. We're losing the idea that our God is a holy, righteous God. Many times he's brought down to our level and we want to make him like us, but he's holy and righteous and pure. And we should have that sense of awe that we could even have a relationship with him. We should have a sense of awe at the fact that he would even, even give us the time of day. But that holy, pure, righteous, perfect God came and died for our sins. So we could have a relationship. So that, I think, listen, I think we're losing that and we're walking away from that. And God says, man, when I come back, you're gonna know it and you're going those ways Why do we sin when we sin? Here's why we sin when we sin. We've lost sight of a holy, perfect, righteous God. And we think we can get away with it. We think, ah, man, I got away with it. You need to know something, man. There's always consequences. I don't care how you justify it to yourself. I don't care what you tell your neighbors. I don't care what you tell your friends. I don't care what you tell anybody. There's always consequences to sin doesn't mean that God doesn't love us. It means there's consequences in our life. And so here's what he says, man, I'm going to come and do that. Now listen, now, here's what I think. I think now he's got their attention. And then he says this, Malachi, to that group. Imagine that group. Imagine sitting around that time period and having this prophet come up. And speak these things. Remember, they weren't reading their Bibles. So this prophet comes up and starts telling you those things. And maybe, you know, here's what, here's what I think a lot of people would do. What a crackpot, man. Where did that guy come from? Who wound him up? Who gave him that platform? And he just keeps going. I, I, I hear some people say, oh, I wish I could be a prophet in the Old Testament. Not me. Man, I read what God made some of them do. Ezekiel, I'm gonna cook your food over poo and eat it. I wanna do that, Lord. Isaiah walking around naked, everybody tries to fix that. Oh, he was in his underwear. Oh, that makes it lots better. This is not a problem then. Oh, I can just wear my underwear out in public. I'm good with that. Jeremiah having to go bury a belt. 500 miles away, walk back and then God says, oh, by the way, go back and get your belt i just was there all of those things so listen and then and then on top of all of that All of these people you're talking to really don't care what you have to say. They're not listening to you. They're not being converted. They're not going, Oh, we're so glad you're here, Malachi, man. We've been waiting for you. They're going, You're a crackpot, man. Why are we listening to you? So now he gets them a little bit further. Now that I've set that scene, verse 6 For I am the Lord and I do not change. You might want to underline that. God does not change. He doesn't change for you. He doesn't change for me. He doesn't change for Israel. He has set things in Motion. He doesn't change, therefore, you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. What is he saying? I made a covenant with Abraham, and I don't change. Otherwise, you guys would be all dust and ashes. But I don't change. I keep my word. So not only is he holy, not only is he perfect, not only is he he, uh, righteous, he's also faithful. And so I do not change yet verse seven from the days of your fathers you have gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them now here's what i love listen god god says hey this is not new what you guys are doing is not new your fathers did it and their fathers did it and their fathers did it and their fathers did it so you and i need to understand something sin is not new and what goes on in our lives and what goes on in the life of the fellowship and the things here, it's not different. It's been going on for centuries, for millenniums. And he goes, so, hey, you need to know, man, it's been going on since the days of your father. They've gone away from my ordinances. They've not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you. There's a cry of God. When people tell me I feel so distant from God, here's what I tell them. He didn't move, you did. You want to get close to him? then move in that direction and get close to him and here's what i know if you ever draw near to god he will never ever go eh, i kind of had it with you Still there he always accepts us he always brings us in so he says hey here he's telling them listen draw near and, and return to me and i will return to you says the lord of hosts But you said, here's what they said, in what way shall we return? Here's what they're saying, we don't need to return. We don't need to repent. We could even say it that way. Why are you calling us to do that? That's kind of stupid. We get so blinded to our own sin that we don't even realize we're doing it. And so here you have these people, man. And here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking, I I don't know how much of this was actual dialogue or if Malachi's just putting in what he knows they're thinking or whatever. But if it's really dialogue going out, wouldn't you be a little bit frustrated by now? This is like the sixth or seventh time they go, what are you talking about? We don't do that. And here they're going, we don't need to come back. We're the sons of Abraham. We're this, we're that. And sometimes as Christians, here's what we say. I don't need to do that, I'm a Christian. I'm, I'm under the blood of Jesus. Do you ever say that? Don't justify your sin. Sin is still sin and you need to deal with it. So they're going, what are you talking about, Malachi, right? And so he says, listen, in what way shall we return? Verse eight, will a man rob God, yet you have robbed me. So here's what he's saying. Listen, they're going, what do you mean we need to return? What are you talking about? And he goes, does a man rob God? And here's what he tells the Jews of that generation. Yet you have robbed me. And then here's their whiny thing again, right? In what way have you robbed you? Listen, I don't think it's ever good to like call God out. It's better to agree with him. That's what confession is. Confession is us saying to God, I know what you're saying and I agree with you. You're right, I'm not. Thank you for pointing that out, Lord. Thank you for bringing back. In what way? Here's what they're going you know what do you what do you first of all what do you mean we need to return we don't need to return nothing, and then now it's what do you mean we've robbed you and here's what God says very simple, in tithes and offerings, oh. You're gonna bring that up again. He brought that up in chapter one, right? Then he bring it up in chapter one. And he told them, "Hey, you guys, you're robbing me." In chapter one, it was about quality. Right, in chapter one, you're bringing me, your deaf and you're blind and you're worthless animals and you act like that's some kind of big sacrifice on your part and all you're doing is taking out the trash and giving it to me and feeling good about yourself. And you're going, I've done well, man, look what I've given to God. And sometimes as Christians, we do the same thing. We give God whatever's left over and we don't care about and we go here, God, I am so holy, you can have this. And remember what God said? Try giving that to your governor. Put that on your IRS. And so now here's what he's saying. Check this out. Now he's saying, it's not just about quality, you guys, it's about quantity. You're not giving me what you're supposed to be giving me. Wow. That's kind of intense. For homework read Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. I'm not going to make you read Exodus. But you start reading those, and here's what you find out. Listen, he says, you've robbed me in tithes and offering. And I know, you know, I know as believers, now we have this big thing, this this aversion to this word tithe. And here's what we think, you know, tithe literally means 10%. I get that, one-tenth, I know. But if you read Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, here's what you come away with. Israel wasn't required just to give 10%. If you do all of the math and figure it out, I think it comes, for me, it seems to come closer to 30%, but many say it's around 22%. So you can do your own math. You can figure it out. You can keep track of every time God tells them to breathe something. But here's what we need to know. God gave them specifics about how they were to come to him. And he was very specific about this offering but it wasn't just ties they were ripping him off on. Did you get it? Tithes and offerings. And he goes, you're robbing me. Now it's not like God needs their money or our money. I've, I've said that before. God's not broke. You know, it always cracks me up when whenever I see people on TV, the televangelists going in, they're weeping. We just need that money. And just give us a seed. I always love it when they tell you that. Just plant a seed. Just send us that seed money and it will grow for you and it will do this stuff. Whenever I hear them say that, I think, well, why don't you have faith with what you already got? Why do you need mine, right? If they're telling me that my money's going to grow like that, why don't you give to yourself and let yours grow? It always cracks me up. God's not broke and They act like God. This ministry is not going to continue unless you... Well, there's the truth that we need money for ministry, but guess who knows we need money for ministry? God. God knows what we need. So is God interested in your money? Mm, not so much. Last time I checked, his account was doing fine. So what is God after? Here's what he's after your heart. You see, God wants your heart. And he wants you to grow up. And he wants you to become mature as a believer. And he wants you to be somebody who can trust him. And man, if we can't trust him with something as simple as material things that we own, how can you trust him to get you to heaven? You really think he's going to get you? You're, you're, here's what you're doing. What if I give him this? It's going like, to mess everything up and I'm not going to make it and I'm going to be destitute and all of this stuff's going to happen. Well, you know what? If your God is that small, how on earth is he ever going to get you to heaven? You ever think of it that way? Like, I know my God's going to get me to heaven. I trust him. And we have to learn that. So here's what he's telling these people. You're robbing me. And, you know, I think some of us are robbing him. But here's the thing you need to understand. When you rob God, guess who suffers the most? You do. Because you're not growing spiritually. So he says, hey, you robbed me? Verse 9 you are cursed with a curse for you have robbed me even this whole nation. So he lets them know, here's what's going on. And then I love this. He says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse. Now there's a big long discussion on what is the storehouse and what's that all about. Hey, when they built the temple, they had special rooms for storehouses because they were supposed to bring in produce and things because they always weren't dealing in currency. And they were to bring all that in and that was to help the ministry. It was to help the Levites and the priests. And so they had these storehouses there. And now, now people go, well, you know, the church isn't the storehouse. And, and they get in these big, long discussions. And, and I think, why do we get into these long things? Why don't we just do this? Why don't some of us admit, I don't trust God with my money? I remember when we first got saved, I've shared before, man, the pastor asked to come and visit Gaynelle and I. I freaked out. Pastor's coming to our house? Here's what I told her. All he wants is our money. That's all he wants. I ain't giving him any money. It's my money. What a dope Christian. You see, we get uptight about it. And if you're struggling in that area, hey, I understand it's a struggle. But you need to grow. You need to come to a place where you can trust God So he says, hey, bring it in. Here's what he's saying. I want you to trust me. I want you to bring it into my storehouse that there may be food in my house. Now here's what I love. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. Here's what God is saying. Listen carefully. Here's what he's saying. Test me. Do you know no place in scripture does God ever say test me? Except here. So let's take your finances and test him. I remember as a young believer, after I got over that fact that I was afraid the pastor was going to rip me off, once I worked through that issue, then as I began to read my Bible, I felt really convicted on how I should give to God. And at the time, we had our business, and I was giving to God the way He showed me to give. I wasn't telling, here's the thing I wasn't telling anybody else how to give to God. I didn't have a platform for that anyway, but I wasn't telling other people, and I was just giving to God the way I felt like God should give to me, and it was a little bit of a stretch for us. It was hard for us. And people would come and say, oh, no, 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 Pat. Why are you giving to God that way? First, you need to, because I had a business, first you need to deduct all of your expenses before you give to God. So first, get all of your expenses out of the way, then all of your taxes out of the way, and then get everything taken care of, and out of that, you give to God. And I said, listen, I really didn't ask you how I should give to God. And this is how I want to give to God, because here's what I was thinking as a young believer. I want to test God. I want to see. You see, because he's telling us to test him. And I had made up my mind, and I'm pretty stubborn. You can ask my wife, man, once I do something, that's it. I'm going for it. And I had made up my mind how to do it. And again, all of the mature believers were saying, oh, you, you're just blowing it. You're just so silly. Now, here's the crazy thing, and some of you are going to like freak out a little bit. As I began to test God, over a couple years, my business started tanking. Now, some of us think, if I give to God, he's really going to bless me, right? Well, he was blessing me. Just not in a material way. He was blessing me in a spiritual way. And God was wanting me to go in a whole different direction. And so... We need to understand something because here's what he says, test me in this and see if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out to you such blessings that there will not be enough room to receive it. Most people, when they go through this, here's what you think. If I give to God, man, he's going to give me so much money and wealth and material that it's just going to flood all over me. That's not what he's saying. He's saying what? I'm going to give you blessings that you cannot contain. And from us trusting the Lord and going in that direction in our lives, God has done much more than I could have ever dreamed that he would do. Gave me the opportunity to go to the Bible college and, and hey, he met our needs as we were doing that and took care of us as we were doing that. Met the tuition, met those needs, helped us plant the church in Bisbee and get started in ministry, brought me to this church and things are going on. And I cannot believe what God has done in my life with blessings am i wealthy yeah pretty much (laughs) in blessings i'm so wealthy saints test him test him see if he'll do it see if you can really trust this one and we didn't we just sing? how many of you how many of you raise your hands how many of you saying king of my heart how many of you said those words some of you weren't singing? <laughs> that way, I mean, hey, we sing those things and we're like, our, I mean, even some of us got our hands up and then, and then we go out of here and go, he ain't no king of my wallet. He might be king of my heart, but no <laughs> touching my money. We get all freaked out because here's, here's the thing. We get so dependent on that. And I understand that's what we need to get by in this world. I'm not saying we don't. Test him. Man, I just want you to test God because here's what I want. I want you to be blessed. So here's what he says. He says, test me. See if I will not open the windows of heaven, pour out for you such blessings that there will not be room enough to receive it. Verse 11, and I will rebuke the devourer for your sake. Here's what he's saying, man. If you begin to trust God, guess what? That hole, do you remember when we read, I think it's Haggai, maybe it's Hosea. It's one of the H guys. Remember when we read them? Or maybe it was Habakkuk. Remember when we read them and they said, you keep keep putting money in, but it goes right through your pocket. You have a hole in your your pocket. Remember, I don't know which one said it, but remember, here's the thing. Here's what God says. If you trust me and you test me, I'll sew up that hole. I'll take care of that devourer. Hey, your finances are in the toilet, then trust God and see if he'll take care of that one devouring your finances and taking all of that away from you. Oh, Pat. This is the 2020, we're not about to do that. You are, you are a nut job. You and Malachi belong together, (laughs) test me. Here's what God's saying is test me. See if I'm not going to take care of you. See if I'm not faithful to do that. I'm going to rebuke the devourer for your sake. Listen, and he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. Now, listen, most of us, we're not agrarian, right? Most of us aren't growing things to survive with. Some of us are. A couple of us are. That's it. But most of us here, so so we're going, well, I don't care. I don't care about no stinking locusts and those other things. You really care when your money doesn't go where and stretch to the point where you need it. You really care when you get to the end of the month or the end of the pay cycle and you don't have money to pay for things. And he says, hey, man, you start trusting me. You're going to find out. I'm going to meet your needs. Listen, I'm not telling you he's going to like dump, you know, the lottery on you. People ask me if I play the lottery. I don't. And it's not because I'm a huge anti-gambling guy, although I think gambling destroys lives. I don't play it because here's what I know. God knows what millions of dollars would do to me. It would ruin me. So he is not gonna let me win. Even if I bought a winning ticket, he would change the numbers. (laughs) Because he knows what it would do to my life. He wants me to trust him. Not trust in other things, not trust in the lottery, not trust in this, not trust in that. Trust him and blessings will come and he'll take care of that thing that's eating up all of your your end of the week or end of the uh, pay period uh, finances. He's gonna take care of that and there's gonna be fruit and you're gonna make it to the end and you're gonna wonder how. I cannot believe, listen, when I went through Bible college, I was the one making all the pottery and I wasn't even there to do it. And yet, God met our needs. We never missed any bills, any of those things. We made it every time, every semester, because God makes that promise. And we need to trust him. And then, oh, and then he tells us in in verse 12, and all the nations shall call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. Now, I know he's talking to Israel. And every time we go on a trip, I love to go on a trip and get on Mount Carmel and look out over that valley where it's so green and they're growing so many things. And I think of this, and all the nations are gonna call you blessed. And they're coming back. And if he can do it for that nation of Israel, he can do it for you. You're a piece of cake compared to all those people in Israel. It's not a problem. He's not fretting in heaven So God really has a desire for you and I to grow. Again, it's not a monetary thing necessarily. It's a heart issue. God wants our heart. You're the king of my heart, is he? Is he the king of your heart? If he is, then trust him and watch what he will do and then for some of you, man, get out there, give him a test. Okay, God, I am scared out of my mind. But here's what my Bible says. It says I can test you. So you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna test you. And here's what's gonna happen. You're gonna grow up spiritually. And you're gonna become strong spiritually. And you're gonna have this tremendous relationship with him. So Malachi's not such a crackpot. Malachi's a challenger and you and I need to heed his challenge. Let's stand up and pray. Lord, I thank you that you do challenge us. I thank you, God, that as we get into your word that, Lord, sometimes it's Scary. Sometimes it's offensive. We, especially here in this ministry, we don't talk about money that much. Because our heart's desire is that the Lord would guide each one of us and take us to the place where we need to be. And for some of us, we do need to get out of that place where we're trying to hang on to everything and control everything and trust you. So God, I thank you that you're able to speak to every single heart in here. And Lord, as we do go forward in our relationship with you, I pray, God, I pray with all my heart that we would never let something as perishable as the material things we have, hold us back from growing strong in you and growing up spiritually. Lord, we wanna be men and women who, as we've been reading in James, we wanna be men and women who we grow up and we become who you see us as. So God, bottom line, what I'm asking is, Give us faith in you, not just faith in faith and not just faith, but faith to trust you with our lives, with our possessions, with everything that we are, so that we can become mature and strong as believers. Thank you, God, that you love us enough to challenge us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.